Bibles tonight, if you would, and if you have your uh, handout that you received there tonight or by way of email, uh, we're in the Gospel of John. If you're joining us tonight, maybe for the first time, we have been going through this series called Route 66, and the reason we're calling it that is because we're going through the books of the Bible. There are 66 books, as you see them there on the shelves. And of course, if, if we took all of these on that picture um, and we hold our Bible up, all those 66 books, isn't it nice to have all of them in one book? And uh, boy, we are spoiled. But you think back to uh, the Old Testament times when God's word was not yet complete, and instead of having a nice slimline Bible like this, uh, you had to carry around a scroll of Isaiah or some pieces of loose paper or the, a papyri, they called it. And, and so you see the 66 books there. Now, what we did, uh, again, if you're joining us tonight, uh, maybe you haven't listened in, we just started uh, really with what was between the Old and New Testament, that time period of 400 years. We covered the, the book of Matthew. We covered the book of Mark. Last week, we covered the book of Luke. Tonight, we're picking it up with the fourth gospel record, and that is the record of John, and that's where we're at. So next week, we're going beyond the gospel records, and we'll get into the book of Acts. We'll talk about that at the end of tonight. But notice here, as we look at this book, and of course, each one of these are significant, because when you take all four of the gospel records, and I keep bringing this back to your attention, that, that really there's only one gospel. Notice there the gospel, but it's according to. So if you had one pie and you took that pie and you cut it in fours, you'd have four equal pieces. Well, depending on who cut it. But, but uh, if I was cutting it, I always make sure my piece is the biggest. But, but equally, you have four pieces. So you would have four slices, but it's one pie. So when you look at the gospel, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you put them all together, you have the gospel. Really what these four records are about is they are about the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pick up the fourth one tonight, and all of them have been the book of Christ, but this particular one focuses on Jesus as the Son of God, the Son of God. So that's the approach that we're going to take. You'll hear that coming up again and again and again tonight in our Bible study. Now, we, we've looked at each one of these individuals, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Tonight, we'll look at John. So notice the name John means grace. It also could carry the idea of gift or even the mercy of the Lord. It's a great name. Uh, there are names that, that carry great significance. This is one of them. Notice John was one of the disciples, one of the twelve and he was known as the beloved disciple. Now you see that not necessarily in that fashion, the wording there, the beloved disciple, but in John 13, verse 23, the Bible says, now there was leaning on Jesus's bosom, one of his disciples, notice whom Jesus loved. Now, you know, the reality is he loved them all. <laughs> God, God so loved the world. God loves all of us. But understand here that there was a special place in the, the Lord's heart for this one by the name of John. Uh, I don't have it in the notes tonight, but I will tell you this. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he looked down from the cross and he saw his mother and he saw John. And this was the man that he trusted his mother to before he gave up the ghost. 
And again, there's, there's great significance behind this individual known by John the Beloved. The New Testament, just to give you an idea here, again, this is the Word of God. It's not a book of man. But when you study the New Testament, you find Matthew and Mark, those two are mentioned five times each. Luke is mentioned only three times in the New Testament by name, but John is mentioned 35 times in the New Testament. Again, there's great significance to this individual. He was known as one of the sons of thunder. <laughs> what, what, a, what a title, what a name. And when I think about that, you know, again, I, I think of Mark 3 and verse 17. The Bible says, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. So you have James and John, brothers, sons of Zebedee. And the Bible says, and he surnamed them, or really kind of in a way gave them a nickname. They were called Boanerges, an interesting name there, because when you translate Boanerges, it means the sons of thunder. So again, when you look at this and you see this particular name, you think to yourself, why in the world would he surname them or why would he call them Boanerges or the sons of thunder? Well, on one occasion, uh, it was James and John, if you remember this in the Bible, they actually asked if they could call down thunder and lightning from heaven to strike down the enemies of Jesus. Remember that? Uh, they were asking if they could do that. And I think it was from that point on that Jesus kind of tagged this name. Uh, of course, Peter was Simon Peter. And uh, of course, Thomas was called Didymus. There was a lot of these that had kind of nicknames or uh, surnames, if, if you call it that. But this nickname that Jesus gave, the sons of thunder, the Bible says in Luke 9, look at verse 53, they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, notice it names him, James and John, when they saw that the people did not receive Jesus. By the way, that's a noble thing. You don't want Jesus. That bothers me is what they were saying. And so they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Now, Again, you see there the Old Testament prophet and how, how he, Elijah, prayed down fire from heaven. That's where they got it from. <laughs> it wasn't some, something that was novel to James and John. They had heard about this in the Old Testament, and they said, Lord, if, if you could have done it then, then you could do it now. And these people are not being kind to you, nice to you. So, hey, listen, do you mind if we just, you know, and, and sometimes I kind of feel that way when people are hating on my God, you know, Lord, can you give me the opportunity to pray down fire on them? And maybe the Lord would call me one of the sons of thunder. I don't know. But, but notice here that it, the Bible clearly tells us here in these couple verses that, that John was the son of Zebedee and his mother's name was Salome. Now, when you study the Bible, and again, if, as long as you, you, you rightly divide it, Salome was apparently the sister of Mary, who was Jesus's mother. So when you study that out, now Salome, when you look in the Bible, there are actually two women in the, in the New Testament that had the name Salome. So we always have to be careful because you understand like a name John, John's a very common name. There could be quite a few people. And so when it comes to this, we need to understand. Now, if there were two ladies, then when you study your Bible, here's what you'll find is that one of them 
was the wife of Zebedee, and the other one was actually the woman, if you remember the story, where she was dancing at the birthday of Herod. And uh, she pleased Herod on his birthday, and so he said, listen, he says, if you want to make a request, he says, I'll, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. And you remember, she kind of consulted with her mother, and anybody remember what she asked for? She asked for the head of John the Baptist on a charger. And to talk about, talk about a request there. So, so really, when you look at it, you have two Salomes in the, in the New Testament. One is a righteous woman, and one is an unrighteous woman. And I think it's kind of interesting. We just talked about the request of Salome asking for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The other Salome, she actually also made a request. Her request was a little bit different. Her request truly was a mother's request. The Bible says in Matthew 20, in verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children. She brought her sons, worshiping him, and desired a certain thing of him. And he, and said, he said unto her, What wilt thou, or what, what would you like for me to do? And she said, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Boy, what a request. In other words, she says, I want my boys to be number one and number two or whatever. Uh, and again, you, you think about that request by a mother. Uh, I just think it's quite interesting the, the two requests that these two women made in the word of God. Now, when you think of Salome, if Mary and Salome were sisters, then think about this. Jesus and John were really first cousins. So there, there was a little bit more, and maybe that's how this special place of John in the heart of Jesus came in. But when you study his profession, John was a fisherman, and he was in partnership with Simon Peter and, of course, with his father, Luke 5.10. The Bible says, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. So again, you find here that James and John, they were fishermen. They were partners together with Simon Peter and with their father. And uh, maybe because business was well, when you study the word of God, here's what you find about John is, is that John was actually a man of means. He, he owned his own home. And uh, the Bible even mentions that he had servants. So uh, you did not have servants if you were not a man of means. And so that's a little background on this individual by the name of John who God allowed to write this book or pen the words to the book of John. Notice that as you look at the contents that this book is, of course, being in the Word of God, it is a divinely inspired record of the, all of these things. Listen to this, the preexistence of Christ, His life, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, and the post-resurrection appearances of Christ, who is the Son of God. So really, when you look at John's gospel record, you see an all-inclusive. Notice there it starts with, uh, the pre-existence, uh, and then it goes all the way through after Jesus had been crucified, risen, and of course was going to ascend back to be with the Father. So there is a lot of ground that is covered in John's gospel. Interesting, 75% of John's gospel was actually written in monosyllabic words, one-syllable words. It's a 
It's a great book for maybe new Christians, somebody searching uh, for the Lord in their lives. Uh, when you study John's gospel, the language is very simple. Uh, John's vocabulary actually was, in, in many regards, considered to be small. Uh, they estimate that, that John's vocabulary was somewhere around 600 words. Now, I've, I've done some reading and studying, and they claim that about 100 words is about a, a year of a child's life. So they claim that, that the Gospel of John was written on the level of about a seven-year-old child. That's why it's so easy for people to read it. A lot of times if somebody's struggling or somebody's searching uh, and they ask me, Pastor, where can I read in my Bible? I send them to the Gospel of John. And that may be something you might want to remember. Uh, I know that it's, it's, it is a great book to read and get a hold of many, many things. Uh, John's language in, in his Gospel, his language is Greek, but his thoughts are Hebrew. Uh, and so keep that in mind because, again, you have to consider the audience. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. It was written primarily to the nation of Israel. You see the bridge going to the New Testament, but you see that the gospel now is going forth to those that were never privileged before, the Gentiles. And, of course, you have this, we've talked about this, this huge influence of Hellenism uh, about how the world was Greek at the time, and they were adopting these, many of these Jews were adopting the Greek way of life, the culture, and so on. And so John's language is Greek, but his thoughts are Hebrew. The first three Gospels that we've already covered, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, remember I used this name that they, were, they are considered the synoptic Gospels, meaning that they, they, they all see things together clearly. Uh, those three really fit well together uh, the accounts in those three. Now, that doesn't mean that John doesn't fit in or isn't a part of the Word of God. It is a divinely inspired, but you find when you study John's gospel record, it is, his account is different, and when I say it's different, here's how. When you study John, remember two of the first three actually have the genealogies. We talked about that last week. Matthew and Luke cover the genealogy, but when you get to John, there's no genealogy you don't find any manger scene in the Gospel of John. There's no boyhood. You see nothing about the, the, the childhood of Jesus Christ in John's record. There's no baptism. In other words, where you see uh, Jesus in the water and the Holy Spirit coming down. And, of course, uh, you have God the, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the voice from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You don't have that in John's gospel record. There's no temptation where he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. There's no mount of transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain. And of course, John was one of those that went. And of course, you find really no account of Gethsemane in the gospel of John. You say, wow, that's a lot of stuff. But again, it's 21 chapters that are full of so many other great things. Now, when you look at it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, hopefully you understand what I'm about to say. Those first three gospel records, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke did was they actually recorded the events that happened. But when you look at John's, John not only recorded it, but John interpreted. Uh, and when I say interpreted, here's what I mean by that, is when you study John's gospel, here's what you'll find is, is that many times 
John took the time, now again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, of God, John took the time to explain or further expound on things, to help us to understand it. He provided many times the meaning. For instance, Boergenes. We wouldn't know what Boergenes means unless we looked it up, but he put on there, which is the sons of thunder. So that's just one little illustration how John, many times we see him interpreting or explaining or providing the meaning. Now, I think one of the coolest things about John's gospel is that John presents Jesus as the logos. Now, anybody know what the word logos means? I guess I put it up there for you. It means word. And we see this right here in John's gospel, how the Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And in your Bible, it should be a capital W. Not only was the word, but look at this. And the word was with God and the word was God. So when you, when you study that out, I love that because you know, as much as I, listen, I, I focus in on many things when I study the Word of God, and the first thing I look at when I look in John 1, 1 is three times I see the word, word. Now, that, to me, that's the most significant thing, but it, can I show you one thing that I found years ago as I was studying, is notice not only do you see the word, word three times, but you see the word, was three times. You say, Pastor, that's just a little linking verb. I mean, what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal about it is that that verb was is a verb that is in the imperfect tense. Now, I know that doesn't mean much to most of you, but when you study that tense in the language, remember the, the, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek language, and so tense has to do with the kind of action of a verb. So for instance, some verbs are what you would call present tense. It means there's a continual ongoing action. Like right now, I am teaching this Bible lesson. That's a continual ongoing action. But the imperfect tense actually deals with continual action, but it's continual action going on in the past. Now, when you take all that, and if you can kind of digest all that, here's what that means is, is that verb right there that's mentioned three times in John 1.1, 1, 1, here's what it proves. It proves the eternality of our God. It proves the eternality of Jesus Christ. Now, you say, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Because so many people today want to say that Jesus was a man, that he was born at a certain time, that he was created, and on and on and on. But see, the Bible says, look at the verse again, in the beginning, listen, it's, he has always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I hope you understand that. I'm going to get into another aspect here a little bit later on, but I, I love there John 1.1. That's how this gospel record begins. In John's writings, you find also there's a direct connection between the Old Testament, Jehovah, which is the I am. And then you also see a direct connection from the Old Testament, Jehovah I am, to the Jesus New Testament I am. Jesus actually said that he was the I am. Before, the, before Abraham was, he said, I am. So John makes seven declarations in his gospel record. Now, you don't find these 
in the other gospel records, these seven, and I want you to write these down. These are seven I am declarations, and you see them there in chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Uh, the manna that came down from heaven. Listen, yes, God fed them in the wilderness, but it was more than just getting some wafers on the ground. It was how God provides. And Jesus in the New Testament says, just like he provided manna for you in the Old Testament times, he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. We need the bread of life, and Jesus is the bread of life. He also said in chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. I love that because... Jesus back in that day, listen, we are, we are so spoiled. We walk into a room and we flip a light switch. Back in that day, listen, there was no such thing as electricity. And so they would use at the, at the feast, the, the feast of the tabernacle, they would have these huge candelabras that we might see some small ones now, maybe at a wedding. But this, this part of the Passover uh, celebration, they would have these candelabras and they, they were sometimes they were 75 feet high in Jerusalem, and they would light these candelabras, and it would you, you have to understand that you could see that light for miles. It's kind of like when they do the Olympics and they light the big torch and you could see it burning miles and miles away. Well, listen, when they when they got ready at the feast, when Jesus was there that, at that particular time, that's when he made the statement. He says, I, not those things, I am the light of the world. We understand this world is a dark place, and Jesus said, what you need is, you need the light. Later on, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There are so many things that Jesus said that he, he was. Notice in John chapter number 10, Jesus, great statement here. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Now, again, he's talking about uh, us. Uh, Sunday nights, we're studying Psalm 23. And listen, the only way to get into heaven, into the sheepfold, is to go through the door and it's a beautiful picture because as you had the sheepfold which was a boundary many times created by rocks there the shepherd there was an opening where they would allow the sheep to go in and the shepherd at nighttime would lay across that the shepherd would become the door and jesus says i'm the door in other words you can't get to heaven you can't get into the sheepfold except going through the door he says there are going to be some that are going to try to come in other ways he says, but listen, they are, they are uh, wolves, and they, they are trying to, to take the sheep away. So he says, I'm the door of the sheep. Notice another thing in John 10. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and we covered that a couple wins, uh, Sunday nights ago, how Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep, and he knows us as his sheep. Notice in John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What a great passage there. Listen, Jesus was able not only himself to rise from the dead, but he raised Lazarus from the dead, and he says that he is the resurrection and the life. I just mentioned John 14, 6. He says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And the seventh I am statement is in chapter 15, that great passage where he says, I'm the true vine. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And we praise the Lord that we are we are connected with him. That chapter is all about abiding in him. And that's what John chapter 15 is. So when you look in John's writing, you see a direct connection. Because listen, when, when, it, when it comes to the New Testament or our, our Bible, that's why I find it hard when some people say, well, listen, I don't really get much out of the Old Testament. Listen, folks, the Old Testament and the New Testament are connected. 
We need the old and the new together because there are so many things we can learn about even our God, even as we study the Word of God about the, the I Am, the great I Am. Now, you know what I love about it is we're studying tonight the Gospel of John, but you think about the last book in our Bible is the book of Revelation, which, by the way, John wrote that book. When you think about these I Am statements, John actually continues those I Am statements that theme in the book of Revelation, and we'll cover that when we get to that book in time. Now, notice also we see here, as we're just talking about the contents of John's gospel, that the selection of the miracles in each one of the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have miracles. Some have uh, in one that might have that miracle in another one. You see some in more than one gospel record. But the selection of the miracles in John's gospel was deliberate. And here's what you find is they're not called necessarily miracles in John's gospel. They're called signs. Uh, the Bible talks about signs, signs and wonders. And the reason they're called signs is because they signified the deity of Jesus Christ. A sign, it was a miracle. It was maybe a wonder, a supernatural uh, occurrence that took place, an event that took place in John's gospel. And you see that word signs or sign in the gospel of John. Now, as you come to the end of John's gospel, I love this statement in John chapter 21 in verse number 25, because here's what the Bible says. There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written, amen. Now we do find when we study it, we find that there are 21 chapters in John's gospel. There's 879 verses and there's 19,099 words in John's gospel. And people say, boy, I, I wonder what would be in the rest of those. Well, it says right there that the world couldn't even contain or hold it Here's what I say to that verse, and hopefully you understand this statement is, is what are we doing with what we do have? Because he's given us 21 chapters, and he wants us to read his word, to study it, to meditate on it, to memorize it, and to share it with other people. So I love the contents, and by the way, uh, I'm just hitting on certain things that, that the Lord just kind of showed me as I was preparing for this tonight. I hope you understand there's so much more in each one of these gospel records and each one of these books in your Bible. The character, uh, what is the character makeup? A lot of these books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are historical, but John also, not only historical, is a doctrinal book. You find much when we talk about our doctrines, our beliefs, when you study John's gospel record, the subject of John's gospel is the conversations of Jesus. I love reading John. Of course, I, I think I, in the last couple of days, I went through about 12 or 13 chapters of John's gospel. But, but I love hearing and reading these conversations. Sometimes as I'm reading these conversations, I think to myself, what, what it would have been like to have been there and to, to hear that conversation between Jesus and in this individual, or maybe uh, be that person. I was reading where uh, there was a group of individuals, Jesus was in, in the uh, temple, and, and they brought the woman, remember, that they said was taken in the act of adultery. Remember, they didn't bring the man. The Old Testament actually said that if someone was caught, they were supposed to bring the adulterer and the adulteress. See, it wasn't that they wanted uh, to make things right. 
they, they weren't interested in that situation. They were trying to trip up Jesus. And I, I love how they, they were all standing there with stones, and they were going to stone him. And remember what Jesus did? He stooped down and he wrote something in the ground. Nobody knows. A lot of theologians have speculated what, what it was. A lot of people believe maybe he scratched in uh, what the commandments were. I, I don't know. I'm not going to guess tonight. But I love how while Jesus was doing that, each one of those individuals, after he said to them, he that is among you that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, they just started leaving because we're all sinners. And here's, here's the conversation. When they left, Jesus looked up. He already knew what, was, what he was going to see before he ever looked up because he was God. He looks up and only the woman's there. And he says to the woman, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I love the conversations that you see in John's gospel with Jesus and others. Uh, how, about, how about John 4, uh, Jesus and the woman at the well? How about John 3, Jesus and Nicodemus? There's some great conversations when you study John's gospel. Look at the purpose. Uh, again, pretty similar to what we've seen with the other three is to prove in this particular one that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the word Christ is the anointed one. It also deals with the Messiah. Uh, he's the Son of God. And notice here that by believing on him, John 20, 31, the Bible says that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And I hope everybody listening tonight knows Christ as their Savior. But listen, that's the only way that a person can be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, simple outline tonight, five things that I like to divide this gospel record into. Notice it begins with the prologue, and we see here that the prologue is actually the fancy word for the introduction. Notice it's just the first 18 verses of, of chapter number one, and then you find about 11 chapters or so dealing with the signs of the Son of God. Again, remember, uh, not called miracles, but signs, the many great things that Jesus did for those chapters there. And that's followed with the secrets of the Son of God. Many of the things that Jesus did, uh, he would not go into the city because they were looking for him. He would not allow them to, uh, to, to take him because it was not time yet. They wanted to take him and make him a king. And of course, that day will come. It's still future. And then notice as you get to chapter 18, those three chapters there deals with the sorrows of the Son of God, how Jesus, of course, went through the trials and Jesus, of course, went to the cross and gave his life. And so the, the book ends, chapter 21, with the epilogue. And the epilogue is, again, just another word dealing with the conclusion of all the events that had already taken place. And so there's a great, easy outline for you. And you can break it down even more, but, but that might help you a little bit understand how it's put together, the scope. Now, we've looked at some of these other three gospel records, and I love how John, notice here, he covers from eternity past. Remember how I just shared John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And we find here that it covers from eternity past to the post-resurrection events. And, of course, post means after Jesus had risen from the dead. And, of course, I love, listen, as Jesus was on this earth, he, for 40 days, he showed himself alive, the book of Acts says, by many infallible proofs. At one time, he showed himself to over 500 brethren. 
And he let listen, he left no doubt. Because remember, remember why they set up the 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 the, the tomb and they rolled the stone because they had they had heard while he was still on this earth that in three days he says, I will I will raise uh, rise from the dead. And so they wanted to set up a watch so that the disciples of Jesus didn't take his body and say that he rose. And listen, Jesus showed himself to so many people proving that he did rise from the dead. And I love how John covers all those events. Of course, the writer we've talked about is John. God used John uh, to pen these words. And who was it that John wrote to? Well, he writes to all who believe on Christ. All who believe on Christ, going back to, again, 2031, the Bible says that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life through his name. Uh, when did John write this particular account and from where was it written? Uh, he wrote it sometime at the end of the first century between 90 and 100 AD and he wrote it from the city of Ephesus. The key chapter is the very first chapter, chapter number one dealing with the presentation of Christ as the word, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The key verse we've already looked at a couple times which is chapter 20 and verse 31, again, dealing with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there, uh, again, there's a lot of words repeated in all of these Gospels, but this particular one, 121 times the word Father is used, capital F. Uh, you see 35 times this statement, my Father. Uh, Jesus left no doubt uh, who, what the Father was to him. 99 times you see the word believe. Again, I think that is tremendous. That helps us understand why it's important that if somebody is, 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 is thinking about eternity and thinking about their life, it's a great book to go to. Uh, a couple other words, 79 times the word world is used, 71 times the word Jews, 61 times, how about this, the word no, K-N-O-W, 41 times the word abide, not John chapter 15, and then 36 times the word life is used. And of course, a lot of that dealing with uh, eternal life, everlasting life, and so on. And so a lot of great words there that are used over and over again. And maybe when you're going through and reading, you could highlight some of those or make note of those. The key phrase, he that believeth. He that believeth. Look at these two verses out of uh, John chapter number 3. And a lot of times we think of verse 16, but look at verse 18 and verse 36. The Bible says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Boy, right there you ought to say amen, right? So the Bible says, we're not condemned if we believed on him. But he that believeth not, I'm sure all of us know someone that's not saved, that will not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible says, if you believe not, you're condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But the Bible says, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Boy, that verse right there, verse 36, if you know somebody that's not saved, that verse right there ought to motivate you, ought to put a, a burning desire in your heart to talk to them before it's eternally too late. There's many places you can go to in the Bible where you see what the Bible talks about when it talks about uh, you know, this matter of hell. As a matter of fact, I, I just heard a preacher the other day on the radio 
that, and it is true, there, are, there is more mention in the, in the Bible of hell than there is about heaven. God certainly wants us to understand that hell is a real place. Hell is as real as heaven is. And so notice, he that believeth is the key phrase. The key thought is that ye might believe. And that's really what it's all about. That's why the, the, Jesus established the church, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel so that people might believe. The spiritual thought, here it is. He is only the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Uh, going back to probably the most uh, popular as far as among saved and unsaved people in the world today is John 3.16. Sometimes I see people at sporting events holding up a sign, and I think to myself, do they really know what that verse means? Or people that see that verse, and here it is right here, I hope you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, what's that next word? Begotten son. And the Bible says that whosoever believeth, notice, in him. Don't believe in yourself. Don't believe in what you can do, your works, how much you give, what your church you're a part of. Listen, none of that matters. There's a lot of religions today that are built on a system of works. You see, when it comes to true Bible Christianity, it's all about the person of Christ. Now, if you want to expand that a little bit more, it's the person and the work of Christ. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's what Jesus did when he died on the cross for the sins of the world. Now, when you look in, the, in this gospel record, here's what you see when you think of uh, how is Christ seen. He is seen as God's only begotten son. Now, again, going back, and I want you to look at these verses in John chapter 1. We already looked at verse number one, but look at verse number 14. The Bible says, and the word, capital W, was made flesh. We call that the incarnation. That's when Jesus came, was born of a virgin. And the Bible says, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He was full of grace and truth. And the Bible says in verse 18, no man hath seen God at any time. Here it is again, the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. So in other words, God, listen, God revealed himself to us. I covered that last week in the book of, uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter number one, that, that in these last days, God has revealed himself to us by his son. John chapter 1 covers the very same thing. Now, I'm going to bring you back to what I was talking about earlier because this is very important, this matter of who Jesus is. If you understand as a Bible-believing Christian, if you're listening tonight and maybe you don't know Christ, everything when it comes to our salvation is all based on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the devil knows that if he can change what people believe about Jesus, then our salvation is in vain, that we cannot be saved, that we would be like all men, we would be miserable, we'd still be on our way to hell. So that's why it's important for us to understand this word begotten. I want you to notice as he puts it up here, the word begotten in the original language is the word mangenes. Now mangenes is a word, it's a compound word. If you take the word and divide it, you have the first part of it, which is really the word mono, and we all know that mono means one or only, 
And then you have the word genes, which is, comes from the word, our English word is gene. And of course, you understand when we talk about genetics, we're talking about being begotten, to be born. So we talk about here, he is the only begotten. Now, it, to me, it's amazing when you see the word that God used and you see what those words mean and you put them together, there is no other word to explain the word begotten as we look in the word of God. Now, I do find it interesting, and I'm, I'm not necessarily putting down, but I'm trying to educate you tonight. I know there are a lot of different Bible versions out there, uh, and a lot of people don't understand the significance of Bible versions. But can I tell you that what we need to make sure is we have a version of God's word that is without error, and here's what I find, and I'll just share some of these. You can study it out yourself. There's even more than this. But there's a Bible out called the English Standard Version, which is known as the ESV. It does not say his only begotten son. It actually says his only son. There's a difference between his only begotten son and his only son. There's a Bible called a Common English Bible, the CEB. It also says his only son. There's a Bible that's, that's pretty well known called God's Word Translation, the GW Bible. It also says His Only Son. There's the Good News Translation uh, Bible version that says His Only Son. There's the New Revised Standard Bible, the NRS, that also translates it His Only Son. When you look at a Bible that is called the New Living Translation, this would be the NLT, it doesn't say his only son, it says his one and only son. Again, there's a difference between one and only son and only begotten son. Uh, the New International Version, the NIV, says his one and only son. The Revised Standard Version, the RSV, says his only son. You say, Pastor, Again, why are you making a big deal out of this? Because when God gave his word, we, we need to understand that we ought not to change the word of God. We need to make sure we're studying the word of God in its purest form. And that's the problem with many of these modern Bibles is they've taken it and they've tried to water it down. They've tried to make it less than what it is. And we need to understand this word begotten. Now, when you look at it, the word manganese actually has two primary definitions to it. And I want you to look at these. The first one deals, it pertains to being the only one of its kind with a specific relationship. Now just think about that definition there for a second. It pertains to the only one of its kind with a specific relationship. Now to illustrate that, Hebrews 11 in verse 17, and I think we have that verse, Look at this verse, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up, notice the words, his only begotten son. Now the reason that the, now again, that's not saying that the same thing that John 3, 16 says, because I think all of us know that Abraham had more than one son. So when the Bible says here that he offered up his only begotten son, if you go back to that definition, he's, he's the only one of its kind within a specific relationship, meaning that Isaac was the only son 
that Abraham had by Sarah. And he was the only son that came by the covenant that God made with Abraham. Do you get that tonight? So again, we're talking about the one definition of this word begotten. The word manganese actually deals with only one of its kind within a specific relationship. The relationship there in Hebrews eleven seventeen is Abraham and his son Isaac. Now look at the second definition of the word manganese, and that pertains to the only one of its kind or class, notice here, that is unique in kind. And that would take us to John 3.16, where the Bible says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So clearly, we understand that Jesus, here dealing with this particular word begotten, that Jesus is the Son of God, that it, this particular usage of the word uh, manganese here in John 3.16 highlights Jesus as uniquely God's Son. There's no one, listen, even as I was reading in John uh, today where they, they, they were having a hard time with Jesus and one of, the, one of the people sitting there said, we've never heard anyone speak like this man before. You know why? Because Jesus was the Word. He, listen, he, he was the one that gave the Word. He, he was the Word in the flesh. Uh, you talk about, uh, boy, it, wouldn't it be nice if you were going to take a test to have all the answers? Jesus knew everything because he was God. And so that, that's what we see when it comes to Jesus, that he is the only one of its kind or class, unique in kind. Listen, it bothers me when I see some of these religions of the world today that want to say that Jesus was not the God, that he is a God. I don't know if you've ever had anybody try to talk to you about that, try to reason with you from John chapter number one, but you study it out and you find, even with the personal pronouns that are given there, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And it's very important. Now, when you study this out, notice here that as God's Son, Jesus shares the same divine nature as God does. Now, that's different from us because, again, the Bible calls us sons of God. In Ephesians 1, 5, look at the verse, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So we, as believers, we are sons and daughters, but we are sons and daughters by adoption. That's how we become a part of the family of God. We are, we are adopted into the family of God, but Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. You know, when you study the Word of God, here's what you find. It tells us that Adam is God's son and that God has, you, you talk in the, in the uh, book of Genesis, it talks about the sons of God. Those are angelic beings. So God, uh, Abraham is God's son. God has many angelic sons. But when you think about Abraham and us as mankind, you think about the angelic beings, the sons of God, as it mentions in the book of Genesis, those are all created beings. Listen, we, we have all been created in the image and likeness of God. We all have a birthday. Uh, we were created. God, God breathed into man, and he became a living soul. But Jesus is God's only begotten son, meaning that Jesus was not created, that he has always been and he always will be. Again, you go back to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, the bottom line, if I, if I can just say it this way, 
If Jesus was created, and he wasn't, but if he was created, then he could not have been the Savior of the world. And so clearly, God knew that we would need a Savior. And John's gospel is so rich. I, I just love this study. And again, I, I cannot do justice in one Wednesday night, but I hope that maybe some of this has helped you understand a little bit more about John and how the, the gospel record that God allowed him to write is used and the, the great significance behind it. Now, as we come to the conclusion tonight, we've gone through the four gospel records, but of course we have much to, to still cover. And so looking forward to getting beyond uh, the, the four gospel records, we're going to move to the book of Acts next week. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. I'd like for you, if you can, four chapters a day for the next seven days, and you'll have read all the way through the book of Acts. And so if you can, now if you're doing other Bible reading and you've got a schedule going, that's fine. If you don't get all 28 chapters, that's fine. I decided about two days ago that I was going to try to read through all of John's gospel before tonight, and I fell a couple chapters short. But listen, I read more than I would have read. And so uh, if you can, I think it just helps us to get familiar with what we're about to look at in the, in the coming week. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But certainly enjoying uh, going through these books. Hopefully it helps you. And so notice once we get beyond the book of Acts, we've got those church epistles. Now we get into some of the smaller books. They'll be easier to read. We may end up starting to double up depending on uh, the content with each one of them. And uh, as the Lord leads me there, we, we may move through a couple of those books quicker than we've gone through the gospel records. But I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully you are too as we continue going down Route 66 and enjoying our study through the New Testament. Brother Kenny actually started uh, tonight going through uh, the, the 66 books with uh, the teens that are going to be uh, not only coming, but some are watching uh, by way of Zoom, I think, back there. But looking forward to that. Don't forget to pray for those that, that need our prayers. And we look forward to this coming Lord's Day. And may the Lord bless you.